0: And I got, when I made that deal with God, I said, God, if you help me make a living off of here, I promise you that every person that will sit in my chair will know how you turn my life around. And I got from working behind the chair doing fats and color in 2015, by the end of 2015, switch completely to bridal hair. I realized this is not a hobby anymore. People wanna learn from me. I actually enjoy doing bridal hair. And I'm going to start doing bridal hair. And in August, I would say August, September of 2015, I started to take bridal clientele and try slowly to switch from cuts and color to bridal hair.
1: Hey, friends, I'm Jennifer, and you're listening to the Beauty Business Game Changer podcast, a podcast for beauty industry providers and business owners that are wanting to level up their game to create a profitable career. If you're feeling stuck and you want more out of this industry, then join me as I share with you my strategies, lessons I've learned along the way, and how I overcame fear by shifting my mindset to build a healthy business. I built a solid book behind the chair, launched a bridal company, became a salon suite owner to most recently opening up a salon. As creative entrepreneurs, we need an education that empowers us and makes an impact on helping us raise our standards. My mission is to teach you how you can reach your goals quickly, build your books and your business faster, and master the framework for creating a successful and rewarding career. Thank you for joining me. Let's do this. Welcome to your Game Changer podcast. Welcome back to the Beauty Business Game Changer Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Alvarez. Today's guest, I am so excited. Most of you probably already know who she is, but she is one incredible, talented artist. She is a leader in the bridal industry, showing all others how to create beautiful, gorgeous styles with hair. And she is an amazing educator as well. You guys, I am so excited to welcome Lala Kihaya to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. Thank Thank you you so much for tuning in.
1: Thank you so much. You, You guys, I was so moved. There was, um, if you guys are familiar with uh, Ronit, she is an amazing educator that really speaks about profit first. She was hosting um, Huddle Time for the America's Beauty Show and had Lala on. And this Lala, you totally moved me into tears hearing your story, hearing more about you. And the second that I was listening to this, I'm like, we need... To get her on the podcast because we all need to hear your story of how you got started into this industry so um, i'm gonna give you the mic and i would love to hear how you got started
0: how i got started well i got into into the beauty industry as a plan b and i could say pretty much by accident when i decided to immigrate in the united states uh back in 2004 a lot of my family members and friends that uh, came here already told me that I should have a plan B because a lot of education from Europe is not recognized in the United States. Uh, I did art and psychology in my country, so uh, I had few relatives that actually own a salon in our family, and uh, I've been around people who did here for a while, um, and it was like a short uh, period of time that you had to go to school in order to take your license. So I figured I could do that before I actually immigrated in the United States. And when I took my license there uh, in 2005, um, assisted someone for nine months before I came in the States. And then uh, May of 2006 is when I came uh, to the United States. Uh, for my surprise, when I made it here, um, I found out that that uh, license from Romania is not actually recognized either. Oh,
1: so no. none of my
0: was recognized so I did all that for nothing.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh so already in the very beginning obstacles.
0: Yeah so when I came here back in 2006 um, I was 30 years old and my daughter was one and a half. I literally had $300 in my pocket and I came here with a small suitcase and uh, and really big dreams and uh, so when I I stepped into this country (laughs) my balloon deflated (laughs) After I found out that none of that will work for me and uh, not to have not to mention that I had a a small kid with me. So uh, going to school for another seven years to take my, uh, you know, uh, to be able to work as a psychologist or as an art teacher or anything like that uh, was not an option for me. Um, So I took a job as a property manager because I had to pay my bills and, and get a roof above my head. And um, I worked for two years as a property manager, but the money that I was making was so little. I was making $240 a month uh, working full-time as a property manager, uh, manager because the apartment was part of my salary. So um, we made it here at the wrong time. In 2006, uh, that's when that depression started, if you remember back when the economy went down, 2007, 2008, it was really bad. So we made it here like right when that depression started. And a few months later, by the end of 2006, my husband um, was out of a job. He was working in construction and then it started to go worse and worse. And here we we are 2007, 2008, um, just me working, making $240 a, 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 a month, having a small kid and a husband that doesn't have a job. So in 2008, I decided to go actually back to school and take my license in California um, I realized that I need a better job in order to, to put some food on the table and the times were so tough. Uh, and I told my husband that I will go to school and take my license in cosmetology again. Um, he was not encouraging me to do it. He actually told me that I need to, uh, to be home, that I need to keep my job because that assures, a you know, a roof above our heads that, uh, my daughter needs a mom home and all that. And, uh, then I spoke with some members of our family, and uh, they told me the same thing, and uh, I kept going. I went and applied to a school. Regardless of what everyone else told me, I knew that I want a better life, and I do not want to live on off of $240 a month. I had days when I literally had no, no food put on the table. I would have like two, three potatoes left, and two eggs, and put it in front of my daughter and my husband, and tell them that I actually ate and I would go by days without not having anything to eat or put anything in my mouth. So that's when I decided to actually go to school and take my license in California. The first school that I applied to was a Paul Mitchell school and uh, my application was denied. They never told me why, but I got a letter in the mail saying that uh, they uh, wish me the best in my future endeavors. I didn't get much out of all that letter, but I got the part that I'm not in and I'm not accepted. <laughs> So I went and applied to a different college. They accepted me. Um, I graduated um, on top of my class. That's when I actually started to learn English mostly. I took that job as a property manager, but my English was very, very terrible. And uh, I went to school. Uh, I could not leave my job because that was, again, giving me a roof above my head. So I had to actually go to a private school because those were, were the only ones that had classes in the afternoon so I can keep my job. So I was um, actually in the office every day from eight to four with my daughter in my arms, eight to four. The moms out there know how hard it is to keep a toddler at three, four years old in in a small office for eight hours. And then at four to 12 o'clock, I would go to school every day. And after I already worked for eight hours in an office, having my kid with me, I would actually go and work on the floor um, at school, having four to five clients until 12 o'clock at night. Um, I would make it home, uh, usually around 12:30 at night. Uh, that's when I would start to cook, do the laundry, clean the house, prep everything for the second day. Uh, usually go to sleep two, three o'clock in the morning, wake up at seven so I can be in the office with my daughter at eight o'clock. Uh, because my English was so poor, um, in school we would have half an hour of theory every day. Every time we would go to school, the first 30 minutes, it would be theory. And the other 30 minutes would be a te- written test taken from whatever theory they were giving us the day before. Because my English was so poor, I could never take notes in the class. So I would actually be forced every morning while I was in the office, renting apartments, having my kid with me, to go over that chapter that was given to us the day before in school. And I could not take notes. So I would actually have to take the chapter for a Me Lady Book take one sentence out look for each word in the dictionary put the words together and then try to figure out what the sentence says and then take the other sentence and the next one and it'll take me like four to five hours to go over one chapter so I can get myself prepared for that written test at four o'clock when I would go to school and I would have to do all that while I was answering emails phone calls showing apartments doing rental agreements, budgets, weekly reports, and having my toddler with me in the office.
1: Oh my gosh. I, you know, just hearing all of these different challenges, obstacles, and, you know, different hurdles to overcome. I mean, you definitely are like the, the definition of resilient. Like you were so determined and focused to, to not just uh, persevere, but to attain this license. I mean, most people would probably say, yeah, that's way too hard. But I mean, what, what were you thinking? Like, what was like making you continue on um, this path to get a license?
0: Well, um, I think a lot of my story has to do with, with my past and the way I was uh, raised, the way I grew up and mature as a, as a, a human being in a post-communist country where we literally had to live and survive on our own since we were five to six years old because our parents were always working in shifts and they could never take care of us. Uh, we had a pretty tough and rough life in Romania. Like I remember times under the communism when we would wake up at two o'clock because every, everything was ratioed, ratioed. How do you say that? Ratioed? Ratio. When the food, it, they give you just Por-
1: the portions of it yeah
0: exactly how do you say that ratio ratio, the ratio. portion ratio,
1: ratio. yeah
0: <laughs> like we would have like actually cards each family would have cards and um there was no food in the stores or like grocery stores or anything and uh you would go like every two days you would wake up two three o'clock in the morning go there and sit in line at the grocery stores until six o'clock when they would open so you can get your Half of a uh, half of a bread per person, and two eggs and half of a liter of uh, milk every two days, and then they would like, uh, um, you know, get that card and, and put a sign in there that you actually got your food every two days. Holy and uh, we had wow. no freedom of speech. We had like nothing, nothing in there. And we literally had to adapt and survive on everything that came our way. So I feel like a lot of my, my journey in the United States and my determination to keep going was based on how I matured and grew up as a child in a post-communist country. And I remember that my my thought every time when I went through tough times in Romania and a, you know, looking up to our parents, how they made it through all that hardship was always to, to focus on the prize and not, not on the steps, because if I'm keeping my head down and I'm looking at those steps, all I'm going to see is bumps, you know, but if I'm looking on that prize, I'm not going to focus on every bump and every, every hardship that comes my way. So I guess I was taught by a hard life and my childhood and, and teenagers years to keep my eyes on the prize and never on the, on my feet.
1: Hmm. I, I love that and I think I think people can relate to that knowing through like they're going through the storm and if you can just keep your eye on the fact that there's going to be a rainbow afterwards, it's definitely helpful you know and and from how you grew up too, it's like I don't want my child to ever experience that exactly. hardship and and the fear or the devastation or the lack of you know so, I applaud you for like sharing that part of your your life that has really molded and shaped you to your ethics and your your vision and and who you are. So you went to beauty school and obviously you finished. So yes. um, and that was in California, is that right?
0: That was in California, yes. While I was still in school, I had to actually take another job because I could not afford to pay my bills. I was still making the $240 a month, you know. Um, I could not take, I could not do any uh, kitchen hair because I was in school in the afternoons now. And every extra money that I was actually making by doing uh, kitchen hair, you know, after my office hours were gone. So on weekends, I started going to senior houses elderly uh care houses and do nails for the elderly cut their hair or simply sometimes just giving days off meaning like you know giving showers to the elderly wiping their butt and you name it
1: oh my god so
0: i could uh, make some extra money um and that actually helped me a lot while i was in school because like i said my other source of income doing kitchen hair was gone and um i i really needed more money and like i said i had a several times when I had nothing to eat. And uh, that uh, weekly job that actually helped me a lot. Um, many times I would have a few days with going with no food. And I would actually wait for those weekends to go to those senior houses and steal food from their preach.
1: So you literally were hungry.
0: I was literally hungry, yeah. I and think, I think that's, uh, that's enough strong motivation for you to try to do better. I
1: hundred percent. And I think there's a lot of um, students that graduate beauty school and they want this like instant gratification of income and busy schedules, but they're missing that hunger. They they just want it right then and there, but they're not <clears throat> so many of them are not working um, hard to attain that or have that hunger to put the work in to achieve that. After you received your license, you were still trying to make ends meet by having these additional jobs. When were you able to really hone in on just using your license and not having those other jobs?
0: Uh, well, I graduated in 2009 and I did not, I was not able to make a living off of hair only and live the other two jobs until 2015. So I was actually working three jobs for what, 2006 to 2014. That's what, nine years? For nine years, I worked three jobs with no weekends off, no days off, and literally living from a check to another. Because as soon as I graduated in 2009, I thought, big big mistake but this is this is a huge advice for the people who are ready to graduate or just graduated and they are thinking to go on the, on their own i figured if i already graduated in romania and asked, assisted someone there for 9 months and then have been through school here for a year I figured that I have enough experience and I've learned a lot to go on my own and I went straight into renting as soon as I graduated I was like I'm 30 something I'm not 18 anymore you know I've been through two schools already I'm mature enough and I know how to run a business I don't need to assist anyone I've 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 been there done that and here I am uh, by 2009 when I rented that chair uh, in a salon to 2014 I got to the point where I got myself into almost forty thousand dollars debt, paying for a chair that I was not using because I was just going there after hours. I could not leave my office job to just sit in the salon hoping that I will build that clientele. So I still had to keep my property management job and go to salon after four o'clock, five o'clock when I will close the office. Well, you cannot build a clientele after five o'clock, sitting in 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 you know in a salon. And I kept going deeper and deeper and deeper into that with, and because my pride was so big and I was like, I can make it, I can make it, I can make it, I can make it and I made it eventually more and more into debt. And um, I built some clientele eventually, but I've never built the kind of clientele to be able to actually quit my other two jobs, like going into the senior houses on weekends and not being in the, in the property uh, management office in the, during the day. Um, The only way to actually build that clientele would have probably been if I was in the salon full time, but I could not do that because I was not making the money to sit in the salon full time. Someone needed to pay my rent and I was not making that money. And in 2014, in August of 2014, um, of course, my daughter was with me everywhere. As soon as I graduated, I will take her with me. She would be with me in the office. For me to four again. And then she will be with me in the salon, waiting for walk-ins, sitting, you know, behind the chairs in the prep room in the lunchroom, folding towels and bringing, give her, bringing mannequin dolls with me at the salon for her to stay busy and let me do my job. And, um, then on weekends, she was with me at the senior houses doing, seeing me doing all that. And, uh, You pretty much can tell that my daughter did not have a a, a regular childhood. She was not having a nap at 12 o'clock like any other kids. She was not at the park playing with the kids. She was never having any sleepovers. She was never having any nice clothes or shoes, you know, like other kids, because I just was trying to survive. And uh, August of 2014, we're going to the salon and uh, we had a park behind the salon and my daughter is asking me to take her to the park soon as we uh, got to the salon and I'm trying to explain my daughter 2014 she was uh, 10 years old. And I'm trying to explain to her that we cannot go to the park we just got there, we have to wait for an, at least an hour or two to see if we get any walk-ins and if we don't get anything then we can go and play. And she's telling me by that time it's going to be dark again and I'm not going to take her to the park. And she, my daughter, for the first time in all those years, she's throwing a fit and she's throwing herself on the floor in the middle of the salon no, with no, one full gosh. of clientele in there and my colleagues working and trying to do their job. And she uh, throws herself on the floor and she screams at me, calling me a terrible mom and that why she can play with the other kids at the park and have naps and have nice clothes and shoes like the other kids and why she can have friends and and all kinds of things. She, she yelled at me in the middle of the salon. And you know what, I, for all those years from 2000 and, and, uh, Eight, when I went to school to 2014, being in a salon waiting for walk-ins, all I heard all those years from my husband, from my friends, from my family is that I'm not doing the right thing, that that's not a way a child should be raised, that I'm not a good mom, that I'm not doing what I was supposed to do. And look how I'm like sinking more and more instead of, of, of going better. And I'm putting all this effort in it, but nothing comes out of it. And in the same time, I'm, I'm not doing what I was supposed to do as a mother and as a wife. And I already felt miserable. I, I, I didn't need it anyone to remind me what a terrible mother I am. Less my, my daughter to throw a fit in the middle of the salon and, and yell in front of everyone, what a terrible mother I am. So um, I tried to, to get, grab her from the floor and she refused and she threw a fit even bigger. So I find myself like running to the back room, get myself on the floor on my knees and starting to pray for her to stop because I could not control her anymore. And while I'm praying for her to stop, I am losing control. Because I, I just, I, I could hear her crying in the salon and the, the rest of the people trying to calm her down. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is too much for me. And I remember sitting on my, on my knees and I'm like, God, I'm really trying here. You know, I'm really trying here. I've been working my ass off for the night, last, past nine years. I raised my kids. My kid in the places I worked, I'm really trying here and you're not lending a hand. I'm like, I don't know what to do anymore. But I'm telling you this. I'm like literally like fighting with God in my lunch uh, room. And I tell God this. I'm like, I promise you that if you help me make a living off of hair only, which eventually I realize is my passion, I will tell every person sitting in my chair how you changed my life around. And that's my deal with you. And if you keep your part of the deal, I will keep my part of the deal. And that was beginning of August of 2014. Eventually, one of my colleagues uh, took my daughter. She just finished with her client, and she took my daughter uh, to the park behind the salon, and she let me be, you know, have my time there. And then uh, two weeks later, I get uh, one of my clients in my chair, and she says, Lala, I am getting married, and I would love you to do my hair. And uh, I was a color and cut specialist. I had nothing to do with bridal hair. I didn't even know how to do a regular French braid back in 2014. And I'm trying to talk my client out of it and explain to her, I'm like, you don't want me to do your hair for your wedding. prom. I promise you don't want me to touch your hair. I don't even know how to, all I've learned in school is how to set the rollers. And she insists eventually to find out after that, that actually her stylist quit on her two weeks before her wedding. And she had no one, she couldn't find anyone. So she decided to just go for some regular curls and uh, she told me, Lala, I just want some curls pinned up. And I'm like, okay, girl, I know how to curl. That's that's one thing that I've learned in school, how to use a curling iron. <laughs> and we curled her hair. I pinned it up. She loved it. And um, she decided to book me for her wedding. Um, and I've done it because she was a dear, uh, very dear uh, client of mine that has been with me for years and brought a lot of clientele to my chair. So two weeks later, I'm going to do her wedding. And uh, she pulls a picture with uh, that classic big bun uh, on the back and those flat sides you know and I'm looking at that picture and I'm like there is no way I could pull this off I, I'm, I'm like <laughs> I, I want to know where to start And uh, I made the mistake to let my client convince me out of my comfort zone and my knowledge and convince me that I can actually do that. Well, back then, I didn't know anything about hair. For that particular style, that classic bun, uh, the hair needs to be completely straight. Well, back then, I did not know that. So uh, my uh, client was Hispanic, virgin hair all the way to the bottom, brunette like three times more hair than a regular person. And I'm taking <laughs> a, about almost two hours to curl her hair, right, for that style, because <laughs> back then I thought that we need to texturize the hair regardless of what kind of style. That's what we learn in school. So that's what I applied. And um, on my way to the wedding, I stopped by at Walmart and I bought the, um, I don't know how you call that black uh, hairspray, uh, uh, Tresem, 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 Tresemay. Tresem resume that one (laughs) like the super stronghold right and i bought a box with like two or three hundred bobby pins from walmart and i went to that wedding thinking that the 200 bobby pins and the stronghold hairspray will do the job for me because Mm -hmm. i was prepared for curls right not for a classic bun so to make the story short uh when i was done it looked literally looked like she had like a bird nest in there you know or (laughs) shoved shoved in there and some hair pulled up put on top of it Uh, We were in a hotel room in a resort. I turned her around. She looks in the uh, bathroom mirror. And when she sees that disaster, she's like, oh, my gosh, Lala, heck no. There is no way I could go to church like this. She's like, take it down. Put some curls in there. I have to be in church in 45 minutes. So we move her back in the room. I'm I'm starting to take everything down. And uh, when I curled the hair, I used hairspray before I, I curled. And then I sprayed each curl as I went. And then I used more hairspray as I tried to style it into that shape. Uh, When I took it down and I started to brush it, it actually turned completely white. But I'm not talking about powdery white. I'm talking about flowery white. It literally looked like I poured flour on her head. So the, the hairspray was actually so strong and using so much, it literally turned into flour once I started to brush it. So I'm sitting in the hotel room looking at her hair. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a disaster. And I grabbed the oil thinking that the oil will fix that. But I used so much hairspray that the amount of hairspray and the the strength of the hairspray mixed with the oil turned it into gum. So I was literally brushing and it was like, it looked like pieces of gum, like elastic. Oh my. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, sitting. I'm like, how am I going to tell her now that I have to wash her hair when she needs to be in church in 45 minutes? So eventually I had to tell her because there was no way to fix that. And that's when the hell came on earth. <laughs> I understand Spanish because we are Latin. Uh, Romania is the only Latin country in East Europe. So we have the same origins as Spanish and Italian. And we understand Spanish completely. It's hard to talk back, but we understand everything. And I could hear her family starting to panic and talk crap like they were literally planning to beat the crap out of me (laughs) oh my god and to think uh, that this is like
1: the the pivotal moment of your life yeah and this is how it started I
0: think it was uh (laughs) you know I we had to put her with her head down in the bathtub wash her hair she was two hours late for her wedding I managed to do the style that we actually did for the trial, her family had to do her makeup with whatever they found in their purses because the makeup artist was gone long before I I finished the hair. So I don't know if the wedding still went on or she made it, I I made it out of their life. I didn't get paid. Um, I lost half of my clientele after that experience. She told everyone I suck and they should never come back to my chair. Uh, Gave a notice at the salon. And I said, I'm not turning back to hair. This is a sign from God that he wants me to stick with renting apartments. This hair is not for me. (laughs) I'm like, I just had a discussion with God two weeks ago. And I told him if he helps me and this is the sign that he's giving me, this is not me. I'm not doing (laughs) hair. So uh, two weeks later, I called the salon and I tell them, I don't want to quit on hair. I bought a mannequin doll and I'm going to get better at this. and i got a mannequin doll and honestly uh my purpose was to not to get any bridal clientele in my in my chair i didn't buy the mannequin doll for that i just wanted to learn how to do that freaking bun that was my only <laughs> purpose i wanted to learn how to do that bun the problem was in 2014 uh youtube did not have any tutorials on updos like we have it now where you just type a style that you want to learn and you go on youtube and it's there you know Like 2014, the only thing you can find on YouTube was like a fishtail French Dutch. And that that was all I could learn there. So I I kept practicing until I actually came up with my own uh, technique of achieving that bond. And I practiced for like two, three hours every day for a month until I learned how to do that. And I did it beautifully. But by playing with the mannequin, though, I was like trying other things that were like just crossing my mind. And then I see all these styles coming out of my hands and I'm like, where is all this coming from? I haven't even learned anything like this in school. I'm like, I don't even know how my hands are actually doing this. So I had that creativity in me, but I I've never explored it until I had this bad experience happening.
1: And And, and um, you were curious. I think that's key too. You were curious about like, what am I doing? And, and to prove it to yourself, like I can do this. I think that's so important.
0: I think it was it was more important for me to to prove myself that I can actually get out of that comfort zone and 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 uh, you know get to it not necessarily like I said I did not want to to work with bridal clientele I didn't even know that was a big no no for me I had I had enough I will stick with cuts and color I was a, a colors color correction specialist and that's what I was actually doing best And uh, then, you know, August uh, goes by and then I lost half of my clientele and then I'm trying to build more again. And then September, October um, and in October, my boss invites me to dinner. I'm talking about about my boss from the property management uh, company. She invites me to dinner by the end of uh, October. And uh, she proposes to me a promotion. She wants to promote me and make me her right hand. And she says that uh, we might even have uh, a chance of partnership later um, if her company will grow. And uh, I'm sitting there listening to my boss. And this was a a great opportunity. I mean, I just started to work for her, but she knew me from a different company that we both worked in the past. So she knew my skills. She knew I'm capable. And this was an amazing, amazing career opportunity for me. But business and management, although I did my work very well and I was very good at what I was doing, I was just doing it out of, I guess that's who I am. Everything I do, it has to be 100% good. And I was doing it because that's who I was, not necessarily because I was uh, you know, passionate about it or I liked what I was doing. And I actually found myself without even thinking about it or without even taking a day or two to think about it, I'm just saying no on spot. And I see the shock on her face and she looks at me and she's like, Lala, I know you're not doing good and you're struggling. I'm like, I cannot believe that you just said no to this opportunity. We're talking about more money. We're talking about... a." Uh, uh, of an opportunity for you to, to make a career in business and management and get a really high position and I'm like I know but I don't want it she's like wow why and I say you know what I realized that passion my passion is hair, and that's what I want to make a career of
1: mm, you were so certain
0: and she paused for a second and then in my mind, I'm like thinking, what the heck? I have not made any money through hair since I started in 2009. I'm still struggling and I'm highly into debt. And I just had the worst experience just a few months ago. And I'm still not convinced that I wanna to continue to do this. And I just saw it said no to this opportunity on spot. What the heck is wrong with me? And um, she looked at me, she paused for a second and she said, okay, okay, I respect your decision. What are you doing to grow your career in the hair industry, Lala? And I'm telling my boss, you know, I have a Facebook account. I have like 300 followers there. Hopefully four or five years from now, that was my thought, four or five years from now on, hopefully I will build more following and more clientele and I will be able to make a living off of hair only. And my uh, boss was 50 something years old back then, has nothing to do with hair. She looks at me and she says, Well, Lala, if you want to make a career off of hair, I think you are on the wrong platform. You need to get on Instagram. And I look at her, and I'm like, what? No, that's not for me. That's for the younger generation. I don't even know what a hashtag is or hashtagging means. (laughs) That's like, I'm like, no, I, I barely keep up with Facebook. I'm like, no, that's not for me. And she says this to me, Lala, I know you know I'm a good businesswoman and you trust me. We've been together for so many years. Do you trust me when I tell you that this is the future? And I'm like, oh, you know, I, I want to agree with her. But at the same time, like, let's just give me my space, you know. And she's like, let's open an Instagram account for you, Lala. So my boss says, um, what do you like to do the most? And I find myself saying abduce, And I'm like, what? <laughs> Why did I just say that? I don't even do abduce, I do color correction. And she's like, okay, do you have any pictures with Abduce? I'm like, yeah, I do it on my cousin who lives on the same property with me all the time. And I have plenty with my mannequin dolls. And she's like, okay, let's create an email address. So how about Lala Subdues? Does Lala Subdues sound good to you? I'm like, yeah, okay. So she's creating my email address, Lala Subdues, And then we open the Instagram account with Lala Subdues. My boss has actually opened an Instagram account over lunch for me. She created my email address and my Instagram account. She posted the first pictures that you see on my Instagram at the bottom of my page. They were posted by my, my boss, whatever she found in my camera. And she posted and she showed me how to hashtag, what a hashtag means, how to hashtag, how to tag someone. She told me about all these big accounts that I had no idea about, how to get that exposure and all that. And um, that... Instagram account was open on I think 24 or twenty eight of October of 2014 by my boss what so I love about, nothing to do with here
1: what I love about that and and I really want to um, make sure that our listeners hear this is that someone saw potential in you someone encouraged you someone exactly. saw something in you that you didn't see and I think that's so beautiful that if you see somebody, that you know and care about encourage them and push them into the the position that you feel like hey you would be really good at that I mean can you imagine if she didn't do that for you you'd still be on your four to five year plan
0: <laughs> of hoping to make it. maybe so Probably. so
1: wow so this is how uh la la's updos on instagram was yes. born
0: <laughs> exactly over how- a lunch of me being promoted <laughs> trying and to be promoted
1: how funny too that you said I like to do updos and when you do color corrections I think that's like something was just taking over you
0: <laughs> I think so because I, I literally felt like when that came out of my mouth I, I felt like my mouth talked without me actually controlling it you know I'm like did I just say that <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, she opened that Instagram account for me. She gave me my phone and she said, okay, I taught you everything. And she said this to me, Jennifer, mark my words, Lala. One year from now, everyone will know who Lala is. And I looked at her and I was like, eh, you know. And uh, October of 2014, I have 27 followers when I opened that Instagram, mainly my friends and my family trying to support me. And by December, I made it to 13,000 followers in a matter of two and a half months. And uh, I was blown away. And my boss was kept like, you know, uh, texting me like every month. I'm like, what did I tell you? What did I tell you? Did you see how much you grew on Instagram? And I guess people were attracted to my styles just because being an East European, I had like a different way of styling because in, in Europe, everything it's about perfection. Everything needs to be neat. You cannot have any freeze in the hair. So even when I was doing blow dries or anything like that, you know, just styling their hair like casual, everything needed to be perfect. So that was reflecting into my styling versus American styling, which is a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more casual, more, um, you know, messy. And I think people were attracted to my page just because it was unique. It was nothing like they've seen before. And uh, by the end of December, I get a phone call from a salon owner in Stockton, which was like an hour away from Sacramento, asking me to go and educate her team on uh, on upstyling. And I'm like, girl, you have the wrong number. And she's like, I'm like, I'm, I'm doing uh, color correction and cuts, I'm not doing updues. And she's like, aren't you Lala's updos?" And I'm like, uh, oh yeah, that's my Instagram. I'm like, girl, that's a hobby. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> And she says, wow, well, your work is very beautiful for someone not knowing what they are doing and she <laughs> says for me to go and uh, educate her team. And I, and I insist, I'm like, I'm not an educator. I Really, this is a hobby. I have no idea what I'm doing. And she insists. She's like, well, I will pay you a hundred bucks for each person in my team if you come and teach them. I'm mm-hmm. like, girl, I only know how to do four styles, literally. That's what I have discovered so far on my own. And that's all I know how to do. And she says, okay, that's perfect. Foreign styles, that will be plenty. And I'm like thinking, how many people do you have in your team? And she says, seven. And I'm like, she's like, if you come three hours and you teach them that, I will give you 700 bucks for that. And I'm thinking, 700 bucks? I'm not making that money in a, in a, in a week in the salon. I'm like, 700 bucks in three hours? That's insane. And I say yes to it. And I tell her again. But I'm telling you, it's just four styles that I know, okay? And she's like, it's totally fine. Well, if you teach them those four, four styles, it's totally fine with me. So I'm going to Stockton a month later, January of 2015, my first ever bridal class, taking four of my friends with me as models. We go to Stockton. On my way to Stockton, we have to, to stop like two or three times on the road for me to throw up because I realized I <laughs> myself into My English was still not very good. I still consider my, I mean, I still have English as a second language, but back then it was not that good. I will be honest there. Not to mention that I'm like thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not even an educator. I I won't even know where to start. What did I get myself into? And we make it at the salon. (laughs) Jennifer, we make it at the salon and I look through the window and it's a group, it looked like a group of 50 people in there. And I look up at the the salon, and I'm like, it looks like this is the right address. And I turn around to my friends, and I'm like, this must be the wrong address. This is not. I I was supposed to see seven people. And one of them gets inside, and they ask, is Iris the salon owner here? And she comes, and she's like, yeah. And she comes, hey, Lala. And I'm like, do you have another class? And she's like, no, this is your class. And I'm like, well, Iris, you told me seven people. She's like, well, I spread the word, you know, and other people were interested. She's like, no worries, you're going to make more money. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to make more money. I am not prepared for I can't sit in front of 50 people, Iris. And uh, I'm trying to convince her to cancel the class. She doesn't want to. I went to the restroom. I threw up one more time. And I was like almost ready to pass out. I started to pray to not pass. I literally felt like I'm gonna pass out. And I start the class and I ask everyone, how many of you here are bridal stylists? And I have 40 people raising their hands out of 47. (laughs) The only ones who are not bridal stylists was her team. The other ones were doing bridal hair for a living. I'm like, nope, no pressure here. (laughs) Let me get through these three hours. The class was a success. I posted about it uh, January of 2015, my first ever bridal class, going there unprepared, not having an idea what I'm doing, not being a platform educator, never being taught how to educate, having English as a second language, not even being a bridal stylist yet. And I'm teaching my first bridal class in January of 2014 in Iris' salon. This is Glenn Iris, for those who uh, are curious who I'm talking about. And I posted about that on my page. As soon as I posted about that on my page, uh, Jennifer, in the next two uh, uh, weeks, I think I got over 60 emails from salon owners all, all around the uh, United States asking me to go and educate their, their um, teens because my styles were so unique. And I'm like- It's
1: incredible.
0: What the heck that just happened? I'm like, I'm, I'm not even an educator. I'm a fraud. I'm literally a fraud. I'm not even a bridal stylist. I am literally, I felt like a fraud. And um, I didn't do anything for a while. I'm like, if people discover that I'm not actually a bridal stylist, and I'm not even an educator. Uh, Back then, I had a different, I didn't know that you can actually be an independent educator. You know what I mean? I thought that in order to be an educator in the hair industry, you actually have to train yourself for that. You have to go through school and all that. And I was literally afraid to go in front of of, of people, so I, I am not being called a fraud.
1: This and is I caused imposter syndrome is crazy.
0: Exactly. Out. Exactly. <laughs> and I paused for, for a while and then in March I got a phone call from a salon owner in um, LA, David Thurston and Alexis Thurston, uh, the ones who came with the butterfly circus uh, movement. And then eventually we came up with the uh, uh, Paul Bryant uh, color line. They wow. were the, the brains behind that. And uh, they came up with this new form of education where they wanted to have a class in the salon, but a class open to like 100, 200 stylists, not like 230 people, you know? And instead of having one educator educating for three, um, three hours, they would have six to nine educators teaching in those three hours. So each educator would have 15 to 30 minutes and in those three hours, the audience would actually learn about barbering, inspire, inspiration, business, uh, braids, updos, uh, color correction, you name it. And uh, they, he's calling me and proposing me to be part of that show. And I'm like, how did this guy find out about me? I'm like, I'm like, nobody knows me in this. I don't know anyone in the hair industry. I literally didn't know anything. I've never been to a show. I didn't know any stylist. I didn't know anyone. And um, I'm like in shock. I'm like, how does this guy know about me? And I'm like, I don't even know anyone. And she, he presents this idea to me. And he says this to me. And I know we didn't supposed to talk number, but this this was a big thing for me because I have never made that much money in my career. And David's telling me, Lala, if everything goes well, for that 30 minutes of your performance, we are going to pay you 3,500. Oh my God. And for me, it was the amount of money that I were usually making in one month in the salon because I, I literally didn't have much clientele I, like I said I just lost half of my clientele in August after that experience and for me to hear that I'm like this guy wants to pay me I'm like this is this guy is not real I actually googled him to see if he's real <laughs> I'm like this is a spam or something nobody's paying you 3500 for 30 minutes and um I'm saying yes to that without putting any other questions. All I knew is that I have 30 minutes to do an updo, and at the end, I'm going to get paid 3500 So he sends me the contract. I signed that after I did a little bit of research on him to see, to make sure that he's real and this is not a spam, and I'm not going to go to LA and I'm going to get kidnapped and, get, and then get, get killed. <laughs> And I, uh, I said yes to that. And then uh, that was in March of 2015. And then June gets closer. And I realized that I don't know anything about this event other than the address and that I will perform for 30, 30 minutes. And I send an email and I'm like, could you please tell me more about this? I, 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 I never put questions about this. Who are the other educators? How is the format gonna be? Who, and I'm gonna be first and I'm gonna be last. How How is this working? And that's when I find out about the lineup, Jennifer, and he tells me the, gen- the, the lineup and he says, Jenny, the confession of a hairstylist, Nina from Passion Square, Jay Wesley Olson, Larissa Dahl, and there's Lella. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I am going to perform next to Larissa Dahl and Jenny, the confession of a hairstylist and Nina from Passion Square. Is this guy kidding me? What? Did I get myself into Jay Wesley Olson <laughs> has been a platform educator for years for L'Oreal? Jenny, the confessional hairstylist, the same. She was a platform educator for years until it actually became an independent educator. Nina from passion Square, Paul Mitchell I mean, come on, these are legends in the industry. And Larissa Doll, like everyone knew who Larissa Doll is. And I'm like, in this lineup, is this for real? I'm like, from all the people in this industry, he chose me. I'm like, he's not going to make any money with me. Nobody knows who the heck I am. I'm like, I don't even know who the heck I am right now. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, And well, back then I did, I could definitely not finish an updo in 30 minutes. My updo's were usually an hour, an hour and a half. That's how long it would take me to finish an updo. Now I can finish an updo in five minutes and I'm not kidding you. But back then 30 minutes, it was like a nightmare. So uh, for months, I actually practiced that freaking bun that that bride wanted me to do because that was the first one that I learned on my own and came up with my own technique. So it got faster and faster for me being something that I created. So I literally practiced on my cousin for like five months until I actually made it to LA to be able to make it in 30 minutes took her with me to L.A. because she was the only only hair that I was used to and knew how to manage. Kept her in the hotel room for two days. We were next to Universal Studios. I didn't let her even go to the pool. I would do the style, take it down, do the style, take it down, do the style, take it down AM to oh to make sure that I finish in 30 minutes. I make it to the show, uh, Jennifer. They told us to be there one hour before because people wanna mingle, take pictures with you, talk to you, put questions. i'm going there and we have a crowd of 200 people it was so successful when they put it out it got sold in eight seconds and they had Mm. to add another one the second day and that one got sold out too so i i ended up instead of uh doing one day i ended up doing two days and i'm going there and everyone is going you know to all these people taking pictures with them talking to them I'm just sitting in one corner. I didn't have one person coming to me to say hi or anything or who the heck are you or anything. (laughs) I didn't have the guts to go to the other educators because I didn't know them. They didn't know me. And I felt so out of place. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, what am I doing here? Again, I went through the same thing as my first class, running to the restroom, throwing up, coming back, running to the (laughs) restroom, throwing up, coming back and thinking to talk to David that I'm not feeling well and I should not be in that lineup. <laughs> and then the third time I go, I run to the restroom and someone knocks on the door and, I, and I'm and i like sitting on my knees next to the toilet. And I tell them, please use the other restroom. I'm not feeling well. And I hear Larissa, Han, can you please open the door for me? And I tell Larissa, can you please use the other restroom? I'm not feeling well. <laughs> And Larissa is like, uh, "Hun, i I'm not here to use the restroom. I'm here for you. So please open the door. I saw that you ran to the restroom a few times. I want to make sure you're okay. She was actually the only one who paid attention to me. Uh, I opened that door. I literally still had vomit on my on my lips when I opened <laughs> that door. And she opens the door. She grabs a paper, a, a you know, a toilet paper. She like wipes my, my mouth. I was like tearing up and I was like a complete mess. And she's like, what's 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 up with you, hun?" Like, I don't know why I said yes to this, like crying in front, like sobbing in front of Larissa Doll. And I'm like, I don't know why I said yes to this. Nobody knows who I am and you guys are all known and I, I don't think I can do this and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, "Hun," she's like, do you realize that out of all those people in the hair industry, David chose you, that means you have something unique, something special to offer. And you should be so pumped that you're here. I'm like, I am, I am very grateful that I'm here, but this is not my place. (laughs) (laughs) And she grabs my, my shoulders and she's like shaking me like really heavily. And she's like, you need to stop, stop for a second. Can you stop for a second, Lala? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, listen, nobody out there knows that you're nervous unless you show them that you are. And nobody out there think that you have no knowledge or you don't you have no idea what you're doing here unless you show them that as far as they know you are an educator who does bridal hair gorgeous beautiful bridal hair and you are here to show them that that's all they know about you Lala and she was like have you ever educated in front of a crowd like this and I'm like no the most I had was 47 she's like okay have you took any Xanax before and I'm like Yeah, I've took Xanax before. She's like, do you need a a full pill or half of a pill? (laughs) I don't know. She's like, okay, let's go for half of a pill. And she grabs Xanax from her pocket. She breaks it. She puts half of it in my mouth. I drink it. And she's like, "Hun, in 45 minutes, when your time comes, you're going to be totally prepared for this. Now listen to this. And she looks into my eyes and she says this to this. I'm not going to forget her words for the rest of my life because literally my career started on that day with Larissa Doll with me vomiting in a bathroom in LA. (laughs) And she said this to me, Lala, these 30 minutes can start or finish your career before you even actually started your career. What do you choose? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, no, 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 Lala, what do you choose? Do you choose to show these people why you were called here or do you choose to give up? And I look at her and I'm like, I don't want to give up. And she's like, that's all you need. You're going to go there, look confident for 30 minutes, keep your shit together. And then you can cry like a baby after Lala. And here I am getting out of the restroom with Larissa Doll, holding my hand and telling myself that I can keep my shit together for 30 minutes. Yes, I can keep my shit together for 30 minutes. And by the time my time came to perform, I was completely relaxed from that Xanax. And I <laughs> in the mood to show everyone what I can do. And I ended up doing that uh, up to actually in 15 minutes, not in 30 minutes. In 15 minutes, I was like, "Hmm, let's do this. (laughs) And um, for the last 15 minutes, I was just cracking jokes. And from all that lineup, I can proudly say, without sounding cocky, that I was the only one who got a standing ovation at the end of the show. An over five minute standing ovation. I have the videos to prove it. And that was my first time in a big audience. And David Thurston was the first person who saw something in me and gave me the chance to actually sit in, such a, uh, in front of such a huge crowd. And uh, literally the first two performances, the first two classes for me were literally given to me by someone who saw something in me. And for me saying yes to being out of my comfort zone and exploring something that was totally out of my, of my knowledge and my experience. And I really think uh, now, looking back, that every opportunity that knocked on my door and I said yes to is what brought me, uh, you know, closer to my dreams. And uh, I wish before that I had so many other opportunities. When I and when I look back and and I realized probably I said no to all the other opportunities because actually my my calling and my meaning was here. So. Um, if I regret anything in the past, not saying yes to those opportunities, eventually I realized that I said yes to the opportunities that brought me to, to closer to my dreams and what I actually wanted to do in life. And mm-hmm. uh, I will be honest with you here, it's not really my passion. My passion was always people. But uh, I feel through this platform that God blessed me with, you know, by keeping his side of the promise and me keeping my side of the promise, I get to actually do what I love the most, uh, being people. And eventually I realized that um, education came so easily and so uh, naturally to me, because I have a love for people, not necessarily for hair. And that love for people is actually what I I believe makes me a great educator and and, uh, relate to people so well, because that was my first love, psychology, you know. So I get to do that, but a different way. And I get to do art, but a different way through hair. And, like I said, my, my story as an educator is completely different. I have not worked hard. I mean, I worked hard to do a living off of hair, but I did not work hard to become an educator like others. You know, like they train for years. They've been uh, platform educators before they became uh, independent educators. They put so much heart and effort into it. Uh, for me, I put the, the effort into being into the hair industry, but not necessarily working towards an educating uh, career an educator career for me it literally happened all out of people wanted to learn from me and i just responded that call not that i ever dreamed or or worked towards becoming a, an educator and i, uh, I think you, I, you I, know
1: putting yourself out there on that platform with without even knowing what would be reciprocated from you Showing what you have learned or found out because you were curious, because you went through those difficult times. You know, I think that so many times we see people on Instagram like, Lala, you've got how, how many hundreds of thousands of followers? You know, people could see that and feel intimidated of, well, that was like overnight success. However, if you guys listen to this entire podcast, Lala has went through some extremely difficult times in her life to where she is today, you know, so I think that it's so important to know that you may not have worked hard to necessarily become an educator per se, you know, but all of those little things have added up that definitely cultivated you becoming an amazing educator and sharing your passion and knowledge with people.
0: Yes. And, um, uh, you know, even getting to work with brands and and all that, like making it where I'm at today, like building my own brand, but even, but I didn't, I didn't, I worked towards building my brand because a lot of people are asking me, how do you get to actually make it on those big stages? How do you actually make the brands to work with you? How did you make it where you are today? And although I didn't work towards, um, becoming an educator I feel like becoming an educator is actually what helped me the most getting in touch with these brands you know and getting to work towards my brand because you cannot make it regardless of how good you are unless you're a guy of hair, you know you cannot <laughs> make it on those big stages representing your own brand like this you have to go through that process of being a platform educator first representing the brands get the people to know you to see your work to prove yourself that you can actually be on those big and you deserve to be on those big stages and i feel like once you get to that stage in in your career that's when you actually start to work towards your brand now people know you now you proved yourself you proved that you can do it that you can you you have a talent you have something to bring to the table you could never actually go and say Premier Orlando or ABS Chicago, hey, I wanna educate on your big stage. Nobody's gonna pay attention to you, you know? So even if it looks like it happened overnight and it was was easy, I did a lot of free work in the beginning. I tagged all the brands out there hoping that they will see my work and they will want to collaborate with me, you know, and all that. And, and nobody paid attention to me unless, until actually, like the first time when a, when a brand actually uh, reached out to me to work with me was after I won the Behind the Chair Award by the end of 2015. In June, I had that Butterfly Circus, but I still did not have enough exposure. Not too many people knew who about my work and all that. And uh, I remember in June, Behind the Chair came up with that one shot category in 2015. Before that, they only had the uh, hot shot. remember the professional pictures, and you could only enter with those. You could not enter with the picture taken behind the chair. And my cousin uh, back then that I was, oh, used to be my model, she insisted, Lala, I think you should enter. And I'm like, I cannot enter. I'm not a bridal stylist. I still do cuts in color. I'm like, I, I would feel like a fraud entering for a category that I actually don't exercise in real life you know this is just a hobby for me and she was like it doesn't matter you have a license you are a cosmetologist you're not a fraud. even if it's a hobby you should enter and I remember entering two pictures for the braids category and two for the object category and uh, in August when they announced the uh, nominees the finalist uh, Jenny is calling me and she's like "Lola, you made it I was like having ice cream with my family and I'm like and I totally forgot about it. And uh, I'm, I'm like, oh, what? I made it? What? Where, where would, did I make it? I'm like, I, I don't understand you, Jennifer. Uh, uh, Je- uh, Jennifer. Jenny. <laughs> Jenny. And she's like, Lala, we both made it in both categories for the One Shot award behind the chair award and i'm like are you kidding me she's like no you made it on both you made it in the braids and she called me to congratulate me and she actually made it in both as well i'm like i can't believe this she's like you have to come at the show and i keep debating for like two three weeks if i should go in or not and i have never been to a hair show ever in my life so i'm thinking you know what i want to go i want to go there i want to take a picture with gaiteng i want to take a picture with sandia I want to get to know all my idols. So I am prepared to go to that show. One, because I've never been to one. And second, because I want to take pictures with my idols. It didn't even cross my mind that I could be a winner. I didn't even pack fancy clothes or anything. I literally went to the uh, the awards show dressed in a black pair of pants and a, and a black shirt. And barely any makeup without being any prepared or anything. And we make it there. I have Mustafa Avchi on my left. And I have Iris on my right, the, the salon owner that I had the first class uh, in her salon, which eventually we became friends. And we are cheering, you know, uh, when we get to the um, braiding category and we cheer uh, Jenny and we're like hoping that she will win. And she, Jenny wins the, the category. And then they announce the abdu, and I see my work there and I see Mustafa, and we're like cheering each other on. And I was convinced that anyone else will will win that category except me. And they call my name Jennifer on stage. And I'm like, (laughs) what? (laughs) And I see Mustafa pushing me and Iris and they're like, Lala, go, that's you, that's you. I'm like, I don't know what to say. They're like, just go on stage. They called your name, Lala, you won, let's go, go. And they're like pushing me towards the stage. And I'm like getting up on stage in shock. And I'm like, literally my, my, my brain was blank. I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And I make it there and they give me the award and I look at it and I look at the audience and everyone is cheering for me. And I'm like, these people know who I am? These people actually voted for me? And I and I raised the award. And I remember I just said, thank you, Jesus. And thank you everyone who voted for me and just left the stage because I didn't have <laughs> to stay anymore. I was, I was literally in shock. And uh, the first time brands actually uh, reach out to me was after I won that award. But before that, I remember like every picture and every video that I was posting, I was always, you know, like tagging Kenra, Joyco, Sexy Hair, all the, the, the brands out there hoping that someone will see my work and maybe they will be interested to work with me. So even though it sounds like I, it, it happened overnight, I did, did it didn't. I did a lot of free work, and I did uh, a lot of free work just for products, you know. Or I did a lot of free work just to be at events and you know connect and create those connections and all that. And uh, eventually, I wanted to be an educator, and I wanted to work towards that. But I realized that I'm not going to be able to do, to do that unless I start working with the brand. Uh, So pretty much I could say that my career as an educator started from people's need and reach reach to me. And uh, I said yes to something that was completely out of my comfort zone. And by the end of 2015, it was the time when I left my other two jobs, the senior houses on weekends and the the property management in fall of 2015. So one year after my boss told me that everyone will know who I am and whose work is that, it literally happened in a matter of one year for me. And I got, when I made that deal with God, I said, God, if you help me make a living off of here, I promise you that every person that will sit in my chair will know how you turn my life around. And I got from working behind the chair, doing cuts and color in 2015, by the end of 2015, switch completely to bridal hair. I realized this is not a hobby anymore. People wanna learn from me. I actually enjoy doing bridal hair, and I'm gonna start doing bridal hair. And in August, I would say August, September of 2015, I started to take bridal clientele and try slowly to switch from cuts in color to bridal hair. And when I started to get a little bit of bridal hair and after I won that award in September, I was like, I'm not doing cuts in color anymore. This is what I wanna do from now on. I love the attention. I loved the money that the work was coming. I loved working with brands and I'm like, I can do it. I don't need to do cuts and color anymore. And not only that, I I I went straight into a bridal hair without doing that transition slowly, but I left my other two jobs as well. And here I am three months in the bridal industry, having an award, but not having any clientele and getting to the point where I almost got evicted from my apartment because I could not pay the rent. Oh my because God. I wanted to go straight into bridal (laughs) and I didn't learn my lesson when I got out of the school and I ran that chair you know that was a lesson that I was supposed to learn and I didn't I'm like ah I'm good I can make it on it will repeat until you make that learn exactly so almost getting evicted three months not paying my rent because I was not making enough money with the bridal clientele that I was having and uh, the brands were working with me but I was still doing free work pretty much just for you know for products and going to events but paying everything off of my pocket just to build those connections you know and uh, that's when i got my bot to work okay i am not making any money i'm almost getting evicted do i want to go back to the other two jobs or am i going to make something about my work to get to make money so i went and i rented the bench in a, a bus I spent all my savings into that. And I put my face on it and my work on it. I went on all the spa salons, not salons, not like my direct competition. I'm talking about like facial salons, like uh, nail salons um, that we had around the salon that I was working, um, insurance places and all stuff. And I did not leave my business card. What I did different. I realized that in order for people to come to my chair, I need to be different. I got that from my work. And I realized people wanted to work for me because I'm different. So I realized that I have to, I need to have a different approach when it comes to building my clientele. If I want to build that clientele, I need to work different, exactly like my work that I put out there. So I do not go and leave my business in all those places like everyone does. We never pick up those business cards. You know that when you go you to them, away. even if you see them, right? <laughs> so what I did is that I did flyers that were like three times bigger than a business card, usually like this. And I put the most beautiful, colorful objects that I have done for my page. And literally, it, it looked like a flyer with like 12 styles with like colorful, beautiful styles that was literally like grabbing your, your, your vision and your eye. Like, I, and I will leave them there. And on the back was my business card. And I got, I can't even tell you how many people I got from that bench, that bus bench that I rented for a month. And from all these flyers that I left around everywhere because it was like catching their eye. And then every person that sat in my chair, they would have a free updo if they refer someone else to me. And then every person that sat in my chair, I would make sure that they are super happy. And I made sure that that updo that I was giving to them, it was the most beautiful, unique updo from that wedding. And I knew that person, even if she's not opening their mouth, it's going to be my business mobile card going on a wedding with another 200 women talking about my work without her even opening her mouth. And I was literally able by doing something different to build my clientele in a matter of six months. Wow. While I was sitting in a salon trying to build color clientele for years, and I was not able to do that. So eventually I realized that I only put my work, my butt to work when I was, it was about something that I was really passionate about. Mm. It, makes, and it, it just re- makes it easier. And I never realized that I was not actually passionate about cats and color until I switched to the bridal industry. And uh, I got to the point where I was charging 45 to $75 for my obdues when I started to do bridal here in 2015 in August and uh, by 2018, my prices were $350. Oh. Everyone around me was charging around 125 to 150. What I did, I came up with the most unique of and I built the kind of clientele that I knew it's going to come for me just for that. So my thought, I started with uniqueness and I knew that's my niche and that's why people come to me. Then when I advertised myself, I did it differently. And then when I thought about money, I said, you know what? I don't want to do uh, 10 minute styles where I curl and pin it up, you know? and offer something that everyone does. If I do that, I will never make more money. If I wanna make more money, I need to bring something different to the people to the table that no one else does. So every style that I put out there, I put it like something that was not seen in here. And the kind of clientele that was coming to my chair was East Europeans. We're talking about Armenians, Russians, Ukrainians, Romanians, and East European culture is all about um, it's all about the first impression. And it's all about competition. And it's all about who's the most unique in the room. You're even competing with the bride. That's, it's our culture. You need to have the best dress, the best hair, the best shoes, the best car, the best bag, you name it, to stand out. And I knew I want that kind of clientele. I And that kind of clientele, they are not going to be able to get those styles from anyone. Maybe a full hand of people. In our culture, weddings start on Friday, end up on Sunday. That here needs to stay. Like when I say stay and we dance, a.m. to p.m. from the grandma to the kids. So you can just do some curls in there and pin them because they're not going to sit and and look pretty. So I knew that's the kind kind of clientele that I want to bring to my chair. The kind of clientele that cannot get that service from anyone else and they are willing to pay more to stand out.
1: I love that. So, I think that like finding finding your your niche, your specialty and going all in in that one area of your life. I think it like staying in that lane, that lane that zone of genius and it's you know, I'm sure you can laugh about it now looking back at your very first bride and updo and how like um, how much um how bad that experience was. The fact that you were like, okay, I'm going to go all into it. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy how even those bad dark times or experiences that we can, that we have gone through, you've survived and you've realized, how do I turn this into a positive? How do I turn this into my strength as opposed to my weakness? I love that. Lala, I would love to know, um, we've got to wrap up here soon and I want to know, um, what's next in stores for you? What do you have going on next?
0: Oh, what do I have going on next? I think uh, this pandemic uh, taught all of us very hard lessons. And one of the lessons that I've learned last year is because I've been doing um, in 2000, by the end of 2009, uh, by beginning of 2019, I switched to educating uh, 100% and not taking any clients behind the chair because I had, I got to the point where I had such a high demand on education that literally every uh, day of the uh, week and weekends were booked with classes. During the week, private classes and on weekends, my public classes, my tour around the United States or hair shows. Because I've been doing so well uh, with the educational part, and because I'm I'm enjoying educating, eventually I realized that's my passion, not working behind the chair. I've never thought about a plan B. I thought, you know, I will. I love traveling. I love educating. I want to do this for the rest of my life. And I've never thought, what if I can't educate anymore? What if I can't travel anymore? How am I gonna, going to make a living? And that's what I got myself into last year. I literally found myself at home for one year, not being able to travel, having all my private classes canceled, having all my tour for two, uh, 2020 canceled, all my contracted shows canceled and overnight with no source of income. Even if I wanted to go back to the salon, I would still not be able to work behind the chair because there were no weddings going on last year, right? So here I am sitting on my butt for one year, not making any money. I only started to work this year in March. I've been literally home for one year with no income. And uh, I've learned my lessons. Um, What I worked towards last year was coming up with my own uh, prep tool. I was actually working on that for two and a half years And I've launched it during the pandemic last year in November. What I came up with, um, I've been working with uh, texturizing irons since the beginning of my career, but I was never happy with what I found on the market because I was always looking for a subtle texture and most of the crimpers on the market are built to give you a very heavy texture. So eventually I put my dreams to work and uh, I finalized that project last year and I came up with the first uh, preparation tool on the market. I I, it's still a texturizing iron, but it's not a crimper because it's built differently. Uh, so I've changed the, 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 the idea about a crimper completely and I turn it into a preparation tool where you get a very subtle texture through it. And um, I get a I got a very very good response. I was actually uh, shocked how many people signed up for my list uh, before I launched it, and more and more people are talking about it. And people are literally in love with this tool. So I just launched that in November. It's uh, I'm still growing and still trying to spread the word about it. But most of the people that bought it, I would say everyone. I actually from November to now I only had one return, and we uh-huh. sold a lot. So that's how I love people are with it. Uh, my dream is eventually to come up with a full line of hot tools of, of my own and maybe a bridal kit, you know, but for all that, we need time and money. Yeah, <laughs> and I love that.' Still working on that. But another thing that I'm working and uh, I'm launching in December is my online education. God forbid something happens. I can't travel anymore. I want to be able to still educate uh, people and, and share my passion with them. And uh, that's what I'm working. I started in May. It's a it's a huge project, but um, I'm hoping that people will fall in love with it. And it's actually going to be an online bridal academy, LALA's online bridal academy. And I'm hoping to finish it and launch it by December. I, so that's what I'm working on right now. And another project that I'm working on and it's been dear to my heart, and this is coming off of demand as well. For the past uh, six years, every time I educated or I had a class or I've been on a stage, I shared a little bit about my story with people. And for my surprise, every single weekend, when I get in touch with people through my classes or my show performances after the classes, nobody talks about my work. Everyone talks about my story and how how I should write a book. So that's another project that I'm working on. I'm actually writing the story of my life. And I'm hoping to be able to launch that by next, uh, next year as well because I get more questions about my life than I get about hair. (laughs) And I've heard that message so many times that I think it's time for me to actually um, uh, publish that book.
1: A hundred percent. I definitely would buy it and read it as well. Lala, you are incredible. I mean, I think people are already loving you and loving everything that you have brought to our industry and shed light on that. All things are possible when, when, When you have that focus and vision, that hunger is there and that you can overcome anything, right? You're stronger than you think. Definitely everybody needs to check out your online membership education. I think whether you are in bridal behind the chair or if you are independent, this is going to be incredible education that everybody needs to be a part of. And definitely if you're into updos, make sure that you guys check out um, Lala's up to prep tools. Um, I will put a link in the show notes so everybody can, um, make sure that they check those out and sign up for that. Um, in addition to, um, following Lala on Instagram and showing her love Lala, are there any last words of wisdom that you would love to leave our listeners with today?
0: I want to leave my your listener, listeners listeners uh, with this. Um, I talked a little bit about my daughter and how, what kind of childhood she had. And uh, two years ago, I was nominated for the American Influencers Awards. And American Influencers Awards is a different, a totally different type of show. It's uh, awards. It's not like the behind the chair where we're talking about here only. It's like the beauty industry with the hair industry connected. Uh, my daughter loves uh, makeup. She knew a lot of her uh, uh, the people that she's looking up in the, hair, in the uh, makeup industry will be there. So she asked me to actually take her with me at the American Influencers Awards, hoping that she will be able to snap a picture with some of the people she's looking up to. I had the opportunity to go behind the stage and present some awards in there and actually be very close to all these makeup celebrity artists. And um, I grabbed her behind the stage to introduce her to them. And uh, before I actually had a chance to introduce her to all those celebrity makeup artists and say who she is, she, uh, she went in front of me and she said, Hi, I am Lala Subji's daughter. Hi, I am Lala Subji's daughter. Hi, I am Lala Subji's daughter. And if I had any doubt throughout the years that I was not a good mom, that I did not what I was supposed to do, That was the moment that I realized my daughter is proud of me. If she's uh, introducing herself as Lala Sabdi's daughter, not as Debbie or Deborah, her name is, uh, that means she's proud of me. And I realized that if I would have sat home and listened to all those voices telling me that I am not a good mother, I'm not a good wife, that I was not supposed to do, that I'm not doing what I was supposed to do. I could have sat on my couch every day watching TV and having a nine to five uh, job, you know, and I try to be a good mother and a wife. And the example I would have given to my daughter would be that it's okay to give up on your dreams, you know, while I would have preaching her all my life that she needs to go and chase her dreams. And, you know, kids are not learning by preaching. They're learning by example. And what my daughter saw. And when I ask her now, what do you remember from those years? She doesn't remember it now that she does. She doesn't even remember that fit that she had in, in that salon. She doesn't remember that she was with me in the senior house. She doesn't remember that she didn't have a nap at 12 o'clock. You know what she remembers? She remembers how I would give, let her do hair and do the shampoo at the shampoo, my clients at the shampoo bowl. She remembers like how would let her do the senior uh ladies nails and how she I would let her polish her nails and she remembers how all kind of stuff this is what my daughter remembers she remembers quality time with me in the places I work she doesn't remember what she didn't have and two years ago on New Year's Eve she told me that she is proud of me for going and chasing my dreams and that she's so proud that she's my daughter and that I turned from a no mom to a yes mom and I looked at her in the middle of the night and I said what do you mean and she said mom I remember one thing from my childhood that every time we would go somewhere, you would say, no, 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 no. And now every time we go out and I want something, you say yes. So this is what I wanna leave your followers with. It's in your power and it's it's in your strength to turn all those dreams into reality. And uh, my mom used to tell me as a teenager, Lala, anytime I would go and complain to her about something that I started and it didn't work out for me, She would tell me, Lala, we're going to work, talk about this problem once. The next time you come to me and talk to me about it, I want to know what are the solutions for it. So uh, my mom used to tell me this all the time. The success in your life, regardless of what you're going for, is going to be based on how many solutions you can come up for all those problems, not how many excuses you can find. So it's in your power, guys, to turn all those dreams into reality and do it both. Be a great mother, chase your dreams, and be a role model for your kids.
1: I love this. Thank you so much, Lala. You are such an inspiration. And um, this is probably like one of my favorite podcasts. So thank you so much for being a part of the Beauty Business Game Changer podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. I appreciate it. It was great to be with you. Hey friends,
1: thanks for being a part of the Beauty Business Game Changer podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe. And if you love this podcast, I would so appreciate to get a review from you. And there's more ways that we can connect as well. Send me a voice message and tell me where you're at in your business and how I can help you through this podcast. Thanks so much for being a part of this. And until next time, you can be the game changer.